0: We've been in this series of lessons on fundamental doctrines, basic doctrines of the faith. And uh, we're going to continue that tonight in Ephesians chapter 1. We've covered the doctrine of man. Most recently, we covered the doctrine of sin. We covered the doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin. See the human nature of man, the depravity of man... The corrupt nature of fallen man and see the tendency to sin and the repercussions of sin, the consequences of sin, the tendency to sin, it's a pretty bleak picture, really, for mankind. But tonight, we're gonna to talk about the doctrine of salvation, which is good news. The gospel is good news. Ephesians chapter 1. And if you're able to stand, please stand as we read a couple of verses tonight, uh, beginning in verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In whom, talking about Christ, of course, the last part of verse 12 says, Who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, The gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the truth, the truths that we will consider tonight. We believe that the Bible is true. We know it's true. We know that after Adam and Eve sinned, sin passed upon the whole race, the entire human race. We know that man is innately sinful. We know the consequences of sin, but we thank you that we have the only hope, the only true hope, For our sin, and that's the salvation that you offer. And we thank you for that tonight. We pray that you'd help us tonight. I especially pray that, Lord, since this is something that we deal with frequently, at least in part, that we'd not be uh, complacent about our listening, but, God, that you'd help us to have open minds and open hearts and respond respond to your truth. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated This much of this first chapter, I considered reading this entire chapter. It's such a great chapter, but I think that we will not do it tonight anyway. But it talks about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And as we've said many, many times, uh, salvation is not just a ticket that God gives us to, to go to heaven one day, salvation is a changed life. It's a total change in our life, change in our desires, change in our our plans, our purpose. It's a, it's a remarkable, miraculous change. The word here, we're looking at our text in Ephesians chapter 1, where it says in verse 13, the gospel of your salvation, and the word uh, that's translated there in verse 14 is salvation. The Greek word is soteria, s-o-t-e-r-i-a, and so um, this doctrine, the theological term is actually soteriology, the doctrine of our salvation. So when we talk about salvation, let's think first of all about what the word means. Saved or salvation. First of all, I just want to remind us, um, even though we take it for granted that everybody uses the same terminology that we use, uh, the term saved or salvation, is a bi- these are biblical terms. A lot of... If you talk to religious people, if you ever witness to people, co-workers or family, and you talk about being saved, a lot of times they don't even know what what you're talking about because many religious people don't use these words. And some even, I've had people actually say, well, those are Baptist words. No, they're not Baptist words, they're Bible words, saved or salvation. And the reason they're commonly used by Baptists is because they're used quite frequently in the Bible. And uh, let's look at a couple of examples of that. Go to book, the book of Acts, for instance, and we're going to look up numerous passages together tonight, but we're going to go to Acts chapter 4 at this time. And here again we use see the common usage of those two terms, salvation and saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, where the Bible says there is neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There you see the term salvation, saved, used in the same verse, in the same sentence. Go a little further from the book of Acts, if you would, Acts chapter 16. And here we have Paul's conversation with the Philippian jailer. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, uh, it says that this Philippian jailer brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We're in Acts 16, 30. What must I do to be saved? Now, he knew this term. Why did he know this term? I'm sure it's because Paul has used the term there in this encounter in the Philippian jail. In verse 31, they answered their response, And they, Paul and Silas, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So, this is a biblical terminology salvation, saved. Paul wrote to Titus, and he said, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy hath he saved us. By the washing of, and he used this word, regeneration, used that word synonymously with being saved. Regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So salvation is an important term. It encompasses really the entire process, the transformation of God's work in the person who's born again. It, it's, it applies to our past. When you, when, when you got saved, when I got saved, it affected our past. All our sins of the past are forgiven And we're saved at that moment from the penalty of our sin. And that's good news. It also applies to our present. Because now we're no longer aliens to God's truth and righteousness. We're we're adopted into His family. We have fellowship with God. And we're being saved from the power of sin. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved even now, the power of sin. We're, you know, He came, Jesus, thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. It also applies to our future, our eternity in heaven with God, for we'll be saved from the presence of sin. There is no sin there. Salvation is that whole thing. Now please, young purple hear, people hear this. You know, people, because of... Um, a lot of reasons, I'm, I'm sure. They have this idea that salvation is just praying a prayer and getting a, a pass to go to heaven and basically nothing else really changes. That is not Bible salvation. I mean, I'm not, it's not that I'm saying that's not. It, the Bible never says that's what salvation is. Salvation involves a lot more than that. So that's what the term means. But what is the means of salvation? In our text, we began with, and I'll refer back to this a time or two tonight, in Ephesians 2. In our text, we see the role of the Word of God, the truth, the gospel. In Ephesians 2, if you look back there in verse um, 13, it says, "In In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth. What happened prior to them trusting They heard the word of truth. And then it says, the gospel of your salvation. So the first first factor that's always present when a person gets saved is truth. They hear the word of truth. They hear the gospel. Now the gospel itself doesn't save a person. A person is saved when they believe the gospel. When they put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a great tragedy that many people will live their life and die and never hear the gospel, but it's equally, maybe even a greater tragedy that people will sit in churches and hear the gospel, but never obey from their heart the word of God. So how does what is the means of salvation? It's hearing the word of God and then believing. Now, for the sake of this lesson tonight, this message, and we're not going to cover all the things we want to talk about in the matter of salvation tonight, but we'll cover a lot of it, but there are a lot of false beliefs about salvation, and it's not necessary that we know what everybody else believes. It is necessary that we know what God says, but many views about salvation, but all of the views in my, if you want to simplify it, and I believe this is, if it's relevant to do this. All the views of salvation can be put into two basic camps or categories. And one of them believe, according to the Bible, that people are saved by grace, through faith, based entirely or solely upon what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's all about what Jesus did. The other camp, the other category are those who believe in some degree or some form of works, it may be the death of Christ plus baptism, but it still is trusting in some form of works. It may be the, tr- it may be, uh, the death of Christ plus keeping the Sabbath. That's what Seventh-day Adventists believe. But it's still a part of good works. It may, be, it may be the death of Jesus on the cross plus the sacraments, but it still works. It may be the blood of Jesus Christ plus circumcision. That was one of the issues in the New Testament, but it still works. So you have two categories. One is faith in Christ alone for salvation. And one is some form or degree or measure of works that men can do. And let's go to the book of Genesis for just a moment. Genesis chapter 4. And there we have the first record of these two forms of religious beliefs as far as worship and sacrifice, (coughs) pardon me, that would be acceptable to God. Genesis chapter four, and the Bible says in verse one, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, that's their firstborn son, Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. You have two sons, two different occupations. One is a, um, live, in, in livestock. One is more in agriculture. Verse three. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain "...brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord." When they became old enough, it was time for them to begin to participate in worship. We don't know exactly how old they were anything like that. "...and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect." So you have two different brothers raised in the same family, two different occupations, and two different views about worship. Very important. Cain, the Bible says, uh, in verse 2, was a tiller of the ground. In verse 3, it says, he brought the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. He brought something that he had produced. We don't know what it is, not important. Verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. God rejected his offering. It, you know, it's just worth mentioning that a lot of people have the idea that God ought to accept whatever they offer, but that's not true. God accepts when we offer what he requires, he accepts it. God rejected uh, Cain's offering. But it says of Abel, verse 2, the second born son, That he was a keeper of the sheep. He took care of the the flock. And it came time for him to bring an offering. In verse 4 it says, And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock a sacrifice. He brought an animal a sacrifice. And of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Abel brought a substitutionary sacrifice, and God accepted his offering. Now... To me, that represents really the two forms of salvation right there. One of them was putting his faith in the sacrifice of another. One of them was putting his faith in something that he could produce. And I want to tell you, God accepted only one of them. And God accepted the sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice of another. And so here's here's this picture of salvation. There's a lot in the Bible we have, but there's some things in the Bible we don't have. And one thing we don't have is how old were they? But we know this. They had been taught. They had been instructed. You can be assured of that, that Adam and Eve had instructed their children. And by the way, we see, you know, if you read on in the text, and we're not going to do that, that Cain was very upset, very mad. He was upset because God didn't accept his sacrifice, upset enough that he killed his brother, Abel. So, so... So what is, it, what is the means of salvation? It's hearing the gospel and having a proper response to the gospel. And what is the gospel? It is the message of Christ's salvation and faith in Christ alone. I'm not going to turn to it tonight, but if you want to read a passage, young person, that talks about the importance that God places on having the right gospel, read Galatians chapter 1. Because Paul said, if any man bring any other gospel, then that which I've brought unto you, let him be accursed. There are a lot of, a lot of false gospels. and I'm not going to just stand up here and tell you what's wrong with a lot of different religions. But a per- by the way, a person is not saved because they're Baptists. A person's saved because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But very few other religions believe what we're talking about tonight in the matter of salvation other than Baptists. Most people believe it has to do with baptism. And most people believe or it has to do with good works, has to do with whatever, the sacraments. But for us, it's just Christ and Christ alone and our faith in Christ. So what is our response? What is the proper response uh, to the message of salvation? Let's look at that for a few moments. And let's go to the New Testament. Go back to the New Testament. Go to the book of Acts. And I want to use Acts chapter 20. verse. 20 and 21, because it mentions two two matters that have to do with our response to the gospel, and both of them are important. I use this passage because in this passage, both of them are mentioned. Both of them are mentioned in other places, but some places only one of them is mentioned. We'll look at a few examples of that. But Acts chapter 20 and verse uh, 21, uh, Paul is speaking here to the elders of the church at Ephesus, and giving a testimony concerning his ministry there with them. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Same message to both groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Greeks. You don't have a different plan of salvation for different groups. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It's possible to get really off in the weeds on uh, this matter of uh, repentance and faith, we're, gonna, we're not gonna do that tonight. But really both, those two responses are by like two sides of the same coin. We turn from sin, we turn to God. We turn from error, we turn to truth. Repentance is a turning and those are both, they're distinctive but they're inseparable. I don't, I don't ever find a place in the Bible where the Bible indicates that a man truly repented who did not believe. But I don't think you'll find a place in, a man, a place in the Bible where a man truly believed who did not repent. I think they're both, they're both factors. They're, they're distinct, but they're inseparable. Anytime you find one, you'll find the other. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is really a change of mind. It's, it's, it's a turning in our mind. And it was often, not always, a part of the gospel message. For instance, when John the Baptist began to preach the forerunner of Christ, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the forerunners preached the same message. Jesus came along and began to preach uh, while John was still alive. And John, Jesus preached the same message John did. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so repentance was a part of their message. It's what Jesus preached. It's what John preached. It's certainly what the apostles preached. Um, If you go to the book of Luke, let's turn there, please. The very last part of the gospel of Luke, Uh, we have one account of the great commission that Jesus gave to his churches. So we're in Luke chapter 24. And he's... Beginning in verse 46, it said, and said unto them, Thus it is written, Luke 24 46. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. That's the gospel message. He suffered and died and rose from the dead on the third day. Verse 47. And this is their assignment, and that repentance and remission of sins. Should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now he never even mentions the word faith there, but, he, but we understand, it's implied. That's, we, that's the gospel response, repentance and faith. And so that's, that matter of there were to preach repentance. And we, most of us would know this, that there's been a lot of dialogue about that subject in recent generations, the last generation or two. And we shouldn't complicate it, it's it's just clearly taught in the Bible. In Luke chapter 13, twice Jesus said, "'Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish.'" That's very clear, very simple. And uh, he called for repentance. And repentance, as I said, is a changing of mind. Nobody ever got saved who didn't change their mind about some things. Change your mind about your sin. Change your mind about God. There's, it involves a change of a change of mind, a change of thinking, and it's a part of the it's a part of salvation. And repentance alone does not save a person. Jesus saves a person, but repentance is seen in our coming to Jesus Christ. I'm looking for a verse while I'm talking to you. Mark chapter two and verse seventeen, where Jesus says, "They that are whole have no need of the physician." but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God calls sinners to repent. And it's a tragedy, really. It's sincerely a tragedy that uh, people have actually, and they still believe this. I hear this. I read this. People say, well, you don't repent until after you got saved. That's not what the Bible says. We do repent after we get saved. I've been repenting for for more than 40 years i've been repenting you know god shows you things you repent god you change your mind you base your fe- your faith in what god says and and you ch- have a change of heart but but salvation you don't wait until after you get saved to repent he came to call sinners to repentance call sinners to repent and by the way repentance repentance really is the evidence one evidence and evidence of the work of God in your heart. Because, let's go to this passage. We're in Acts. Go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And Acts chapter 10 was when Peter uh, was directed through, really, the appeal of Cornelius to go visit Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter had a hard time with that. Peter didn't understand how Gentiles could have the same salvation that Jews did. And so that's all in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 11, Peter's giving an answer to the church about what took place among these Gentiles, Cornelius and his house. And he's explaining this in Acts chapter 11. I'm kind of introducing the verse I want to look at. Verse 17 says... For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's faith. What was I that I could withstand God? As Peter's giving his explanation, he says, "How, how could I withstand what God was doing? Verse 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God saying, This is what their response was. Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Not repentance after they got life. They were repenting in order to get life. It's a part of the message that men need to turn from their sin. And people do need to turn from their sin. But repentance is not the only thing. I actually spend more time sometimes talking about that because there's so much misunderstanding about it and a lot of false teaching about among independent baptists about what a repentance is and the role of repentance it's a shame but it's true but also is the matter of faith many many years ago i did my own personal study throughout the new testament every time it mentioned repent or repentance and every time it mentions faith or belief and it mentions faith or belief many more times than it mentions repentance but that doesn't mean both of them are not important. So what is faith? Faith is believing on or believing in or trusting in Jesus for salvation. My Bible is still marked for Ephesians 1 where we began, and I want to just emphasize this matter again of trust and faith. It says in verse 12 of Ephesians 1 that we should be the first that we should be to the praise of his glory who first Trusted in Christ. We first, Paul writes, in whom, he's now he's speaking to the church there at Ephesus, in whom ye also trusted. We trusted in Christ, Paul says. You trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you trusted, verse 13, in whom also. After that you believed, another word for trust. After that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Talking about the security of the believers. But here we find, this is is how a person gets saved by receiving, believing, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more than you can do Nothing less than you can do. That's the only biblical response there is to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Receiving it, believing it. One of the concerns that every one of us should have and parents should have, I know, for their children is saving faith is not the same as mental assent. It's not the same as agreeing to facts. We could turn to James. We won't do that tonight. But when James wrote that great epistle, he said this, the devils also believe and tremble. The devil knows who Jesus is. The devil knows Jesus died on the cross. The devil knows that Jesus raised from the dead. But the devil is going to spend forever in a lake of fire. Just because you have intellectual understanding doesn't mean you're saved. And that, that could be true of anyone. But we especially are concerned about our children and dealing with our children because it's not just enough to say, yeah, I believe that Jesus and I know I've sinned and I, and I want to be saved. I'm not trying to make it difficult to be saved, but that, that God has, salvation is a work of God. Amen. It's a miraculous work that changes a person's life. So faith is not just agreeing with the facts, it's relying upon Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus. And what He did on the cross for salvation... It's believing God's promise. Go with me, if you would, to that beloved passage, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we'll just read a few verses here talking about... We're talking about the means of salvation. It's through the preaching of the gospel, through the declaration of God's truth, and our faith, and our response to the Word of God. In John chapter 3... Verse 14, it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Whoever believes on Jesus, whoever trusts him. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, Whoever believes on him for salvation is not condemned. Thank God for that. It's not difficult. It's impossible with man. But all things are possible with God. The last verse of that same chapter, verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him it's worth emphasizing tonight that this is the message that people need to hear what Christ has done for them and what their response our response to the gospel is to be people don't know that people who are ignorant of religion don't know that people who are steeped in religion don't know that that it's just a matter of faith and trust in Jesus Christ it's good news Just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and those people bitten by that serpent, all they had to do was look upon that brazen serpent with faith. And they were saved. They were healed. Isn't that wonderful? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth on him, whoever trusts in him, Young person, that's the only thing standing between you and eternal life. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. By grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God. He came into His own, His own received Him not, but as many as received Him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. So then we've talked about what salvation is, the terms, salvation, what it means, the means of salvation. I just want to say quickly a couple of words about the candidates for salvation. Who can be saved? It's an important thing to answer and know in your heart who can be saved. Paul wrote to Titus and he said, This, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. All men. All men can be saved. And most women. No, all people, men and women, can be saved. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of misinformation about that. Even among Baptists. Among independent Baptists. Different kinds of Baptists. That believe that only a certain people, that God determined, God decided before time ever began, that these people, and the, these people, God wanted to be saved and these people, God would not allow them to be saved. God didn't want them to be saved. That's not taught in the Bible. That's not taught in the Bible. God knows who's going to be saved. That's God's, God's uh, providence, God's sovereignty. God knows every person. God, God knew before I was ever born. When I would be saved. What would bring me to salvation. He didn't make me be saved. But he knew. That's his sovereign knowledge. And and he worked circumstances in our lives. We're thankful for that. To bring us to the awareness of our need to be saved. But Peter made it very clear. God is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. But his long-suffering... Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is everybody going to be saved? No. Does God want certain people to be lost? No. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. I don't believe God wants any person to perish in their sins. Young people, you need to think about this. If you die in your sins and go to hell, it won't be God's fault. Jesus died for your sins, but you must personally receive Him as your Savior. Uh, Go with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I think I wrote the verse down wrong. 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 2, that's right, verse 4. By the way, this is a passage, and I'm not going to exegete this passage, but 1 Timothy chapter 2 is certainly a relevant passage concerning things we talked about today as far as our country is concerned. It's about praying. Verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Pray for your leaders. Pray for kings. Pray for those in authority. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And in case we might be wondering, why would God want us to pray for our government and pray for our government leaders? Look in verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. He would have all men to be saved. God wants all men to be saved. You read down a few more verses, verse five. Let's just read five and six. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for some. No, it's a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God wants all men to be saved. It's important to understand that salvation is for everyone. Amen. So we've talked about the terms of salvation, the means of salvation, the candidates for salvation. And then i want to give you one last thought and we'll continue this next time. And that's the results of salvation. What does salvation do in a person's life? According to the Bible, we make a mistake if we look at other people and say, well, you know, how do I compare to such and such? And that's, that's usually not a wise thing to do. What does the Bible say salvation will result in? And I want to talk about a word for a little bit tonight. The word is regeneration. It's a Bible word. It's used a couple of times. But the word regeneration means, generation usually means life. Regeneration means new life. It means the new birth. When someone believes the gospel, they're born again. I think it's wise. I think it would be Wise when someone hears the gospel and you lead a person to the Lord or they get saved in a church service. It'd be wise to uh, instruct them on what just happened to them. I didn't know what happened when I got saved, really. There are a lot of theological terms I certainly didn't know. And I was glad that I could, through the preaching of the Bible and reading the Bible, I could understand what happened to me. But at the same time, I want to say, if a person got genuinely converted and no one was there to explain to them what happened, they'll know something happened. I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm talking about a change in their attitude, a change in their life, a change in their relationship with God. Regeneration is when someone's born again. Please, please hear this tonight. As I prayed earlier, my concern about this teaching is that people think, well, I already know that. But we need to know it but we need to know it not only so we have the information, but so we can share it with others. Regeneration is entirely the work of God. Twice in John chapter 3, when Jesus had that conversation with Nicodemus about the new birth, twice Jesus used this term, born of the Spirit. It means that the Spirit of God does a work in a person's life. If I were to ask you tonight, What has God done in your life? What has Jesus done in your life? You know what some people would say if you ask them that? They'd say, well, one day I I prayed this prayer at camp, or I prayed this prayer and I got baptized. No, I'm asking, what did God do in your life? Because regeneration is the work of God. And that passage in John chapter 1, where it says, to many who received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born... Not of blood, that's not the natural birth. Nor of the will of the flesh, it's not something they produced. Nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born of God. It was a miraculous work of God in a person's life. And Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter 2 and he says, For we are his workmanship. We are a work of God. We're a work in progress. It's God's work. Now, I'm not saying we don't have responsibilities. I'm just saying if all, if all Christianity is is us conforming to a lot of rules and regulations and standards and saying we can do this, on, it's something we do. That's not regeneration. That's not salvation. Salvation is what God does in a person's life. Once, you know, once I was dead and now I'm alive. Once I was blind and now I can see. It's regeneration. And when a person gets saved, A lot of things happen. We're going to talk about a number of those in the next lesson. But one thing that happens is a regeneration is the Spirit of God comes to live within us. He indwells us. God lives inside of us. Jesus was preparing the disciples for His departure in John chapter 14. And He says about about the Spirit of God, He said, He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He shall be in you. In 1 John 4:12 it says God dwelleth in us. That's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? The new birth is not the transformation of a sinner's old life. The new birth is the impartation of a brand new life inside of us. So when a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within them. And as a result of that, we have a relationship with God. We have a new relationship with God. I know that some of you are, uh, maybe you don't remember, but you're young and, when you got saved, you're younger and you didn't have a track record of sinfulness that some of us had before we got saved. But, but I'm telling you, I, I know this about it. It's been 40-something years ago. And I know that there's a lot I didn't understand or know. But I know this. I didn't have a relationship with God before I got saved. I didn't have any inner, inner voice directing me. In. I'm talking about an audible voice. I'm just talking about the Spirit of God in us. I didn't have any desire for the things of God. And I have a hard time. I'm gonna be honest with you. I have a hard time understanding a person that gets saved that doesn't fall in love with the Bible. Amen. When I got saved, I wanted to read this book. It was God's book. God wrote me a book. I love. I, you know, I, there's a lot about it I don't understand. I hadn't read it through as much many times as I ought to. But I'm telling you, you say, well, "How'd you ever learn to love the Bible?" I got saved. Yeah. I got saved. And, and for a person, and I've known a lot of people like this, a lot of them, who believe they're saved, who never hardly open the Bible, never look into the Bible, never read the Bible, never memorize any Scripture, very seldom ever really pray, and they, and they, they think they're saved. I'm telling you, that's not what I understand the Bible to teach that salvation is. It changes our life. We have a new relationship. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new. There ought to be if you got saved, there was a time in your life when you recognized as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, you recognized that I whatever the circumstances were, whatever the message was, whatever the location was, that you were born again and your life took on a new trajectory. After you got saved. Right? It's salvation. We're in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's a, it's a new life. We have a new relationship with God. Let's go to one last passage: 1 John chapter 3. We're part of the family of God. Imagine that. 1 John chapter 3. When I was a child, I had a pretty dysfunctional family. Sometimes I think even as a saved person, I have a new family that's sometimes dysfunctional. (laughs) But I have a brand new family. And I have a brand new father. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What love has been bestowed upon me that I would be known as a child of God? Therefore the world knoweth us not. The world is not related to us because it knew Him not. It didn't have a relationship with Him. doesn't have a relationship with us. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're a part of God's family. We're the children of God. God is our Father. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. God's our Father. We're his children. Isn't that wonderful? We're brothers. And by the way, we're family. We're brothers and sisters. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. This all happens when you get saved. Have you been saved? Do you know you're saved? I'm not here to try to make people doubt their salvation, but do you have a relationship with God? Has He changed your life? These are Bible verses. This This is God's truth. This is the light that shines into our heart. This is God's truth. Have you been born again? If not, tonight you need to be saved. And people could say, well, you know, I think people get saved, some people get saved, some people get really saved. No, saved is saved. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where it says some people got really saved and some people got kind of saved and, and some people got barely saved. No, it's just saved. <laughs> Are you saved? Has He changed your life? Have you been born again? And if not, you need to be saved. You need to take this seriously. You need to take the Bible seriously. You need to take the gospel seriously. And then, if, if we're saved, what about our friends? What about our neighbors? Our extended family, people we know. Are they saved? That ought to be a concern to us. There's only two kinds of people in the world the saved and the unsaved, the lost, and those who are regenerated, born again and get so muddled in life to where we think a whole lot of things matter more than they should. But I'll tell you, when we leave this life, the only thing that's going to matter is whether a person's saved or not and what we did with our life after we got saved. That's all. Amen? I love the doctrine of salvation. We've been hearing it for I still love to think about it. We'll talk about it some more in our next lesson. The change that God makes in a person's life. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Our fathers, we pray this evening. I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that our beliefs are not based upon our feelings or our opinions. They're not based upon our desires personal preferences, but they're based upon the revealed Word of God. We thank You for that. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You've given us Your truth. God, I pray as I prayed earlier today. I pray for every person here tonight. I pray for those who are not saved, that You'd open their eyes, bring conviction to their heart. Thank You for the power of the Word of God to convict us of our sin. To shine the light of the glorious gospel of Christ into our wicked hearts. Thank you for it.